A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. With a massive move to distributed data architecture, it's essential to have access to all of your data wherever it is. A data mesh emphasizes domain-driven data ownership, data as a product, self-service infrastructure, and federated computational governance, giving you faster time to value without needing to transport your data. Starburst allows you to achieve this distributed architecture by allowing you to run SQL queries across distributed data that connect sources, regions, and clouds. For more information on how your team can benefit from a data mesh strategy, check out our data mesh resource center on our website. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Sarita Bax, Managing Director and a leader in firm-wide data management at J.P. Morgan Chase. I asked Sarita to be on because of her deep experience in data mesh and her great perspective on data governance in data mesh. We summed up the episode with talking about getting out of your own way regarding data governance in, in data mesh. You're going to learn and your approach will evolve as you learn. It's okay to not know everything up front. Set yourself up to not get in trouble with the proper guardrails in place, but you won't know everything. Data risk controls are relatively easy to measure, so get to a place where you can focus on adding value to individual data products and at the mesh level via standards and guiding principles and things like that. Think of designing your risk controls as toll gates and make sure that they aren't bottlenecks. So kind of popping up to a higher level, historically, data governance has meant controls and gatekeeping to most people, typically getting in the way of innovation, kind of, oh, no, I have to deal with the data governance team. So there needs to be a focus on changing that narrative, not just through words, but actions to show it's not the case anymore. In data mesh, you need to ensure that domains can make good decisions on governance and seek out the governance subject matter experts when it makes sense to do so. But a lot of that is giving giving teams the responsibilities and then the understanding to know 
when to make that call and when to seek guidance or, or help. One of the key issues in the way governance has been done is the people making the decisions, the central governance team, don't have the real understanding of the data. When those decisions are put in the hands of the people who really know the data, but with good guardrails and and especially that good guidance, the fear is lifted about, can we actually use this data and how can we use it? So goodbye to data trepidation. This opens up a lot of new opportunities to leverage your data, but you must really know your your boundaries about what's allowed, slash in good taste, slash ethical. Basically, if you set your governance up well, it can make it your teams feel safe to leverage data in new and innovative ways, driving significant value. Sarita strongly recommends starting with purpose-built data products. Find a use case and build data products to serve that that specific use case. And data products must be about unlocking business value. You don't need to serve up all of a domain's data on day one, in version one, you know, of that domain's first data product. Make your data products extensible and reusable so you can find additional consumers and expand that data product over time. This is a recurring theme from from many episodes. Lorenzo Nicora, for example, covered the same concept really well in his episode on domain-driven design for data. When thinking about broad governance, a few things Sarita emphasized were you, you don't need to have the firm-wide vision completed at the start. You should be providing guidance, not making decisions on most issues. You know, have some standards so people don't have to invent things from scratch. Standards for interoperability, naming, etc. And think of them as guiding principles instead of rules. Make sure domain owners know who to contact and, and when on the governance subject matter expertise. She also hit on the issue of data products and and column naming a lot, which she was saying, and and I agree with her, is pretty key for for data discovery. That that naming convention, as annoying as it can be, really does help when you're thinking about, okay, should I explore this data product? Um, So that way people actually will go and and be able to find the data that they want uh, if, if you've already created it. A great point and quick soundbite around data mesh and, and intentionality was creating copies of data isn't necessarily bad. Just don't inadvertently become a redistribution point of data. If you're going to be redistributing data, you need to have the intentionality around that. You need to want to be a redistribution point. Don't uh, accidentally become that. You're going to learn a lot from this one, plus there are some good laughs uh, along the way. I think you'll really enjoy it, and Sarita is very sharp and just a delight to have on. So with that, let's let's go ahead and get to the episode. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
super, super excited for this episode today. I've got uh, Sarita Baxt here from, I'm sorry if I just murdered your, your life, Baxt from uh, <laughs> JP Morgan Chase, um, here to talk about governance, just all sorts of topics related to governance and data mesh. Uh, if people haven't watched, um, Sarita and two of her colleagues did a meetup for the data mesh learning meetup last year, and they talked about their journey. And uh, I think you know, Sarita just has a lot, lot, lot of great perspective around how we can move from governance as the gatekeeper to governance as the enabler and and how we can think about this actual federation of governance and what, what needs to remain centralized and being that team that's there to help instead of being that team that's there to say, have you checked these boxes and, and here are these gates and managing more than, than needs to be managed. So as I said, I'm very excited about this. And she's just also a fun conversationalist. So I'm, I'm very excited. So if Sarita, if you, if you don't mind, if you could give folks uh, a bit of your background and then we can jump in. Uh, thank you. And hi, Scott. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I've been listening to your podcasts and the guests, and it's been so informative and has actually helped influence the way that I think about data governance and the data mesh and treating data as a product. And I hope we have a good conversation here. Um, and, you know, in terms of my background, I've been uh, in the financial services industry just about all my career, coming out of college with a computer science degree. I've worked on fixed income, mortgage trading applications. I was unfortunately part of the financial crisis in structuring our CDOs and uh, all of the pricing applications that came along with it. I've been part of market risk technology, credit risk technology, and then uh, over at JP Morgan working in risk and finance and warehousing our data for use in all of the applications to manage and oversee our risk. Um, and now I have the pleasure of being part of firmwide data management in helping application teams, just like I was on, harness the power of their data, use it for the business purposes that we set out to, but also put those guardrails and controls around it so that we can govern and use the data safely and responsibly. Yeah, that, that safe and responsive, uh, responsibility angle has been, I think, where governance has gotten the bad name of, of being overly controlling. So, like, you know, I, I think you've got a really strong perspective around uh, how to uh, kind of get out of your own way relative to that and be okay with that. So, um, so I, I would love to, to kind of start with that mindset shift about governance as the enabler and that you're there to add value to the teams and add value to the data and make it so that it's easier to use or enrich or things like that, but that you're also not kind of overly heavy handed or, or getting too deeply involved in a one-to-one -one basis on each data product or things like that. I think that that balance is, is really it, uh, important to get right. And so like, how, how did you first start thinking about that mindset, mindset shift of, you know, changing the way that governance is done? Because I know a lot of banks are, are kind of conservative around that. And this, this is not that conservative. But, you know, I, I just would love to hear that journey. Yeah. And many of us, 
say the word or hear the word governance and automatically think negatively. Yep. You are going to control and stop me from doing what I want to do because you are going to impose all of these kinds of controls and governance and, and kind of get in the way of innovation. And yes, sometimes we have to put the guardrails and the controls, especially in heavily regulated industries and especially where we are privy to lots of information. And we want to make sure to safeguard, protect all of our clients and ourselves and adhere to all the laws and regulations of the jurisdictions that we're part of. So yes, of course, governance has to be a little bit of that um, you know, feeling of being locked down. But on the other hand, we have governance in the way to allow ourselves to organize what data we have and use it within those confines as responsibly as possible and share that data with each other. So if we understand what we have to govern, we can actually share more because the fear is lifted, right? We might anecdotally think that we can't use a certain piece of data for a certain process, or we can't share it, or we have to keep it only confined within a particular business process. But if we actually understand all of the rules that come with a piece of data, we have a contract, we have an obligation, we have a regulation, then we realize, hey, that use case I wanted to build, I can actually do it. It's entirely within the boundaries. And that might free us up to execute that innovative technology that we want to. Um, it's a little counterintuitive, right? Because we think it clamps us down, but it may actually free us up. Of course, we can't do any of that if we don't know what those boundaries are. So if we don't have that transparency to know what the rules are, if we don't know the transparency to describe what the data is, to know if it's within or without that those boundaries, then it's all hearsay and it's all anecdotal and people become afraid. But bringing the transparency might actually empower more and more teams to use the data safely within those confines. And how did you kind of approach that, that organizational mindset shift of, was that internal to your own team? Did you have kind of the, the governance folks, were they kind of, uh, adverse to doing this, you know, the kind of risk adverse uh, uh, stereotype of data governance. And then as well, like, how do you communicate that out effectively when there is that kind of governance trauma? Of, like people who've, who've dealt with governance, it hasn't necessarily probably been a great um, thing in the past. So like, hey, come to us with your ideas and we'll work with you to see what we can and can't do. Like, that's such a big shift. So yeah, so I, I think we have to balance, right? There's a component that a central organization does bring forward to help make sure that there are certain tools in place for teams to consistently understand what kind of data they're working with, understand what the profiles would be to make something risky or not risky. But on the other hand, there's a recognition that a central team will never know everything about every bit of data. And we have to federate that out to the subject matter experts that know the data that they're working on. For sure. 
And so if we, if we have those, you know, those relationships and the understandings in that balancing act where the subject matter experts are entirely empowered to own their data, um, understand the rules and the guardrails around the data, have those meaningful conversations, but also have more of a centralized team that helps define the overarching rules, rules, responsibilities, and roles, then we can, we can really scale. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting balance to, to be striking. And, and when you started trying to go down that path of communicating that internally, did, did the domain teams believe it (laughs) or how long did it take before they started to go, okay. Or, or, or did you like, (laughs) Do the whisper campaign of no, really, the governance team is helping now, or like how'd you go about? That? You know, so you, so you're speaking in the past as if we've accomplished, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and you're giving a sentiment that you know chocolate and wine doesn't help the situation um, in convincing that we are actually meaning meaningful people and and want to do what's right for the organization as a whole. So let's be honest here, right? We're all on a journey. Um, And it's about talking with those domain owners, understanding what their pressures are, what they're looking to accomplish, sharing with them what our concerns are or where we want to make sure that the right controls are in place and working in complete partnership. Because overall, at J.P. Morgan and at other other firms, whether they be financial services or other companies, everybody's trying to accomplish their business goals. And we don't want to stand in the way of, of bringing forward new technology, new tooling, new analytics, new ML to accomplish and unlock that value for the business. And so as long as the governance team is always keeping front and center that we are a, a firm that wants to do business and we are not a firm that's solely there for the purpose of governance, then those meaningful conversations can be had. We learn from every domain, team, and we adjust as we go. It's not a firm set of rules that are locked in stone and can't be manipulated or not manipulated, evolved. Let's, let's say evolved. Um, it's like law, right? You have a law and then you set precedent against the law and you evolve the law and you understand what has to be done practically and realistically within those confines. If if I had a nickel for every time I've said evolution, evolution, evolution relative to data mesh on one of the podcasts, I think I would have at least, uh, 25, 30 cents. So <laughs> yes, the, the, Historically, the way that data has worked is that people have tried to lock too much into, we started doing it this way, it's working, we must lock to that versus, hey, we're evolving this and that we're, we understand, especially when it comes to governance, I I think of, you know, kind of the CYA or cover your, your butt of, uh, of getting going on things, like putting that out there first and then saying like, Okay, we're we're here to, to partner with you and and work and evolve. And so I think you're you're saying a lot of the, the same things. Um, one thing we had talked about in the in, when when we talked kind of offline about this was the adding the value 
to each individual data product, but making that scalable and then making it so that the data products can be more, you know, when you think about the general mesh level, it's more than the sum of the parts, right? Each each data product isn't just valuable in and of itself. It's valuable in the broader mesh context relative to the interoperability and things. So like, how have you worked with teams or, or what advice would you have to somebody that's kind of early in their journey about how to add value to the individual data products without having to <laughs> do it on a one-to-one basis because it's just not scalable? Yeah, I think it still goes back to the unlocking of the business value. Um, I think a lot of people approach a data product as this holistic output of content that should be there and be the be all and end all for everybody from day one. And if we, if we don't understand the purpose of the data and we don't understand the use cases that will require or desire that data upfront, then that will never succeed. And we will not understand all of the business cases and usage patterns up front because we will evolve. We will find other opportunities to take advantage of the data over time. And so finding that first business driver and building the product for a purpose with a mindset that you want it to be extendable and reusable, of course, is the best way to start. You find that you find that business driver, you build the product, you expand over time. Um, of course, within some confines of governance, and I'm, I'm not talking here about the regulatory governance, but now in the value add governance and say, okay, I, I put this data set in the product. It makes sense. Another business case comes along that requires another data set. And we have to think, okay, is that related to the extent that they should both be part of the same product and who will make that decision, right? And that's what I mean by governance in this sense. Somebody has to start having that view of all these different data sets and decide if it's logically connected such that it should be part of the same product. And if it is, if we think so now, okay. And if we and we think later that it should separate and split, okay, right? The product doesn't have to stay rigid in its box forever. Yeah, the product it could split, it could merge, it could it could morph, whatever it needs to do. But having the line of sight of the business purpose and the fit for purposeness of the data to drive the business value is what's most important. Yeah, Lorenzo Nicora um, on his episode was kind of talking about that same thing. And, and I think Eric Broda mentioned it too. And it's it's a through line that I hadn't noticed of, you know, in data mesh, there's the uh, producer source aligned data products and the, the consumer aligned data products. And I think what makes the most sense is to do these producer or source aligned data products, but with a consumer driven like sp- built, it, it is built for purpose, but with that extensibility, exactly what you said, like the extensibility and reusability that you say, okay, I am building it 
to support this specific business use case. And then I'm going to expand as more people start to say, oh, you've got this thing. What would be really great is if you had this. Oh, yeah, we've got that data. We can serve that, you know, that, oh, that it starts the conversation. It's not the end of the conversation. It's not that that it's a car, right? These are, are not data products are like SaaS products. It's not a car. It's not that once it goes out the door, it's pretty damn hard to make the, the changes to it, right? It's not that way. You, you're deploying a new version and you're, you're, you're able to, to do that evolution. So I think that- And, that and it's important to name the products appropriately to describe what's actually inside. So if we're building- a product that has a certain scope of data to start and in, and it's defined and described well. We know what the attributes are in that product. We know what the definitions are. Then perhaps a second consumer can come along and say, hey, I just, I saw your product. It looks pretty meaningful to me. Can I use it as is? Or they may say, can you add one or two different dimensions to it and then have a conversation? Okay, well, no, maybe I'm going to leave my product as it is and I'm going to give you a secondary data set because your need is related but not the same. And so I don't want to expand in place. I'm going to give you another um, set of information that you need that's connected. Um, But if it's named appropriately, then we can have those conversations and it should be named in, you know, readable English terms to have a a person to person conversation. It's not about the machines reading the definition and the description of the product to govern and use it um, in, in a meaningful way. Well, of course we need machine readable metadata to describe a lot of things about the content but sometimes we just need people to talk to each other and have, um, you know, the, the 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 parameters in place to enable the conversation. It, it it's used as the the kind of Kickstarter, right? It's the thing that that sets the the wheels in motion instead of it's the thing that does everything, right? It 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 doesn't it sets the the process in motion. I I really hadn't thought about product naming as being part of data discovery, but that makes a lot of sense to really kind of frame it that way of every part of this is, it's not just, can my, have I put this into the catalog? It's like, have I put this in a way that people can find it and understand it and, you know, all of that. So, um, and, and we had talked a little bit about processes and standards and blueprints and templates, auto documentation, things like that. Um, where where are you kind of on that that journey and and you know how important have you found that to be versus not certainly um where we have data risks it is very important to have standard expectations standard services standard templates to control for those data risks mm-hmm. right um when it comes to the naming and the value add and the findability and the interoperability, I think that's still an evolution. Um, It's more art than science right now. 
Um, we, we know we have best practices for naming conventions, but again, I don't think it's something that one would put into a template. Uh, instead, we have guiding principles. But for data risks, it's a little bit more black and white, right? You either are holding an individual's personal information in your data set or you're not. And if you are, there are certain responsibilities that come with uh, making sure you've protected all of that information. Um, so in terms of those templates and blueprints, you know, we are evolving towards much more standardization around those data risks. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, risk can get us down a, a big, big uh, <laughs> rabbit hole or whatever. So on the interoperability and that value add, like, I mean, I, I know everybody's early in their journey, right? No, and, and I haven't seen anybody that's published anything about exactly how they're doing interoperability or their standards or their templates or anything like that. But what what have you found that's worked thus far or worked semi-well or, or anything like that for the people? Because there are so many people that are, are just kind of it's it's a blocker where they go, well, do I have to figure out everything for interoperability up front? Or have you found that you can also evolve into interoperability? Or is that is that one of those things where it's like you kind of want to try and try and do that beforehand because otherwise you can get yourself into some trouble? Yeah. Or so um, you know, classic information architecture practices have not gone out the window with the introduction of data products or data mesh, right? We still want to have physical data models, logical data models. And with that, we have still um, the primary key relationships, foreign key relationships, all of that good stuff still comes with um, managing our data. But what becomes very interesting is um, how do we relate to data in other domains? You know, so I can hold my own, I can have my own data model and I can describe to the nth degree all the relationships in my data model. And, and I'm not talking about well, I, whether I have a relational database or not relational database. At the end of the day, we can still organize our data and declare how sets of data relate to other sets of data through unique keys, primary keys, et cetera. So, um, you know, us purists in the room about relational databases and their data models, let's, let's park that for a second, right? We don't have to have that purity. We can still declare how pieces of data are related to each other through identifiers um, in, in different data sets and how to draw on in information between. And so uh, what could be very interesting and what we've seen work is where one team declares their data model and their keys and their identifiers, and they make note through their data models how they plan to join their data and their keys with the keys that they know in the data sets that they are looking to bring in. So, you know, for example, um, I have employee login information. And I want to know the employee's name. And so I have the identifier of the employee and I have the phone book entry 
of that, of all the employees. And so I'm going to link from my domain with the login information to the telephone domain that has all the names of the people. And I know that their ID is going to be my joining key. And that already sets the stage for interoperability because now I've just said these two data sets can work together through this key. And I can declare what that key is on my side and what I assume the key to be on the other side. And now I've just joined the dots between the two data sets. And, and how do you think about that for single query, uh, like kind of combinations? Because like one thing that I haven't seen a lot of is kind of standardization around APIs or, or things like that, where somebody could could pull that data instead of pulling it individually and then kind of mashing it together in their own, um, you know, environment, which then the policies traveling with can be <laughs> pretty difficult to manage and all yeah. that stuff. So like, I think even on your, um, on your call though, you, you had, or on the meetup, you, you said that you, it's, there are, it's, it's, lower friction to have somebody copy it into their own environment because you can just make those policies go a little bit easier than consuming in place where the policies and the consumption have to, to happen at the same time. So that was, that was a super interesting insight from. Yeah. I, I think where possible you want to query in place and you want to take advantage of the interoperability and the joins that you can execute on the fly in a single query. That would be fantastic. But where the mesh is comprised of disparate technologies, and unless you have um, some tooling in place that allows the query on those disparate technologies to execute and bring everything together and then return a result set to you at once, then we just, you don't have really that luxury. So we have options, right? We can run two queries and then you know, join it together. Uh, at runtime, we can create a controlled copy of the data. I think in the in the past or even in the present, people think that creating copies of data is is bad, right? Our goal in life is to remove all copies of data, have a single copy, everybody come and run it at runtime. But we know realistically there are performance implications to running queries distributed. So creating a, a localized controlled copy of the data is okay for certain use cases. Bring the data together, time to live for a certain for the certain purpose it is. Make sure you have the policy come with the data. Make sure at least the person that's taking possession of that data in their copy knows all the rules that are incumbent on them and run the query. Yeah, I, I, and I think the thing that you said about the time to live is is super, super crucial because I think that's where data copies end up getting really, really, it, it's not very expensive to copy that data in a lot of cases, you know, especially if you're not transferring it from region to region or doing anything like that. It, it's not that expensive to, to make that additional copy. It's unless there's a lot of compute involved in creating it or anything like that. So with that time to live, so you don't just have these copies of data lying around that somebody can go and find and go, wait, what is this? What? Like that, that's the big 
And you don't want to inadvertently become a redistribution point, right? So there are certain expectations when you take the copy that um, you're using it for the purpose that you've declared it and um, you stop using it after that purpose. I I really like that. uh, Don't inadvertently become a redistribution (laughs) point because um, it's... like with data mesh, I feel like everything should be intentional. So you kind of have to think about what are your intentions? What are you trying to to accomplish? And if you're not trying to create a new data product for other folks, that's... <laughs> that's then don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one concept that's been emerging a lot is agile governance. And I think Laura Madsen wrote a book on this that, that uh, a few people have, have recommended. Um, and so like, how do you think about that governance evolution in the centralized decentralized? Like, let, let's start there because there's so many things that governance starts as centralized and now we're trying to decentralize, but we don't decentralize all the things, but like, how, how do you measure what's being effective and what's not like, what, where is that slider on each decision that you're making as to how far to decentralize or centralize and how, how are you moving that slider back and forth after you measure it? So in terms of agile governance specifically, I'm not sure. Well, no, I mean, just being agile with governance, right? Not, not like. Oh, oh, not oh, 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 okay. So you meant agile with the capital A yeah, governance. Okay. That's the most frustrating <laughs> term ever, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so. In, I, don't, I don't really know. Um, I think we kind of keep going until we see that it's not working, right? I'm just, uh, just to be brutally honest, right? I don't think there's there's one answer to should I be centralized? Should I be federated? I think the pendulum swings from time to time until until you find the right balance in your organization. And it's not the same answer for every single organization. Um, some might be very, very lean in the, in a center and allow the federation automatically, you know, a much, much larger federation. And some may not. And I, and I think even within one company, there may be a different balance of centralized versus federated. And so it's not one size fits all. And that's why I think I'm struggling to answer the question because I don't think there is that definitive answer. And I think it's it's not only um, with your organization, but it's with the people that come and go. So mm-hmm. somebody may join the team and it might sway you to say, hey, that's a great person to just take it and run with it in the federated side. And some somebody may leave and you have to bring it into the center for a little bit until there's a replacement, as an example. So it's about the, the actual day-to-day human beings that are part of the journey that might influence the sway. Well, and I think that vulnerability of there, there isn't a great answer. I don't know. is is great, right? Like, I think that's great. But like, how, how would you think about measuring if something is working or isn't? Is there is there... Just kind of, is it kind of that I know it when I see it or it's it's just kind of obvious that it's not working or like, and and like you don't want to get too oh. cute and, and be like, okay, are we at uh, 
one, you know, 17.23 versus 17.25 versus am I at 15 or 20 yeah. or So whatever. I think I think from for data risks, you know if you're working or not working, right? Because there are assessments you do and it's again back to the black and white, you know, there are rules and people are keeping the rules or not keeping the rules or they're delinquent on the rules or they're non-compliant and they have to remediate. And I think for governance, there is some negotiation of what the rules might be. But once people agree to what those parameters are, you're either in or you're out. When it comes to unlocking the value of the data products, I think that's where it becomes a little bit more murky. Um, and you're right, we're not going to have this you know, point, point, point scale. But if you see that more data products are getting registered. More data products are getting created. And you can me- you can measure size. You can measure amount of data available. You can measure the amount of products declared. And as long as I think we see a growth in the, in, you know, obviously growth upward, um, you know you got, you're making progress. And if you know you're delivering business value, we, we tie it to projects and we say this project is dependent on this data becoming available in this product. And if the project concludes and succeeds, you know you've done something right. And if projects are starting to get stalled, then you know you have a problem. But, but it's all about business value Yeah. at the end of the day. It's not that there's like a simple rubric that you can drop, which is what, what people want. People want their copy paste and they want their, their rubric to drop on and say, is this working or is this not working? But it, it, it is a lot more, it sounds like it's a lot more art than, than science right now around f- figuring out that feel as to what, what's working. And, it, you know, we might not be maximizing the value necessarily, but we're doing things in the right direction and we can kind of. Yeah. And I would say, you know, creating data product for the sake of creating data product is probably not the right measurement. Right. Uh, creating data product to deliver business value and, and, and pinning, pinning it on the right, you know, a, a set of business value priorities and measuring if that business value is being accomplished by way of data product, in my mind, is the more appropriate measurement. Yeah. And so uh, Mohammed Syed had talked a little bit about this, of if we're going to federate governance, like the only way to do governance well is to have informed governors, right? And that's why we've kind of had the, the centralized team of people who are super, super specialized in governance. But you don't have to have, you know, not everybody, not every domain should understand how to deal with GDPR. You know, you can have that centralized versus, you know, decentralized. Or if there is a team that has like a really, really massive need, they might build that up. But how do you think about working with teams to the, you know, the specific domain teams to get them to informed about where they need to be informed and get them, you know, kind of get on the same page and get them to the level that's going to be valuable to them, but not overly decentralized and just go, everybody, everybody's now in charge of everything. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and, and you're absolutely right. You can't scale to that level where every domain owner is going to know the nuance of every single bit of legisl- legislation. Um, and 
I think every single business process and every organization uses a form of data. So that would just be completely overwhelming. I, I think that you have your subject matter experts in certain arenas and you make those known. You make sure that people know who to contact. Uh, you make sure that those subject matter experts are um, informed of all of the data that's out there to measure and make sure that it's meeting the expectations. But other than that, um, you really want to give the control to the domain owners and to have them know who to reach out to to make the right decisions. That's the, I think, in my, again, in my opinion, is the only way to scale. It's just too much information out there. It's too much data out there. And to, let's call it bottleneck, right? Bottleneck it through a set of subject matter experts is just not going to give that throughput. And so you really want to make sure that the awareness and the education and the data literacy is out there. And then those subject matter experts can lean on the domain owners as needed to make sure that the oversight is there. But I think we talked about it in the past, Scott, where we want to make a distinction between toll gates and bottlenecks. And to the extent necessary, of course, we'll put the right toll gates in place. But you can't funnel it through this, this you know, tiny little pipe of allowance and controllers and subject matter experts. Um, you, of course, need those subject matter experts. You need it to be controlled. I, I don't want to suggest that that it's just open season for everybody, but you also can't have that small pipe of throughput. And and you said something kind of interesting there and I want to I want to double click into it about um you talked about the subject matter experts being the one doing the kind of leaning on in kind of the sense of hey you need to be doing this right. How do you how do you encourage it? How do you make it so that the domain people feel like they know when to go to the subject matter experts. So it's not, we caught you not doing this thing. Let's do that versus like that you can get them in that. And, and I know that's that's also, again, the governance trauma of the past of people going, as soon as I talk to governance, my project is solved for six months versus like, okay, this is now an enabler. But like, have you found any successful ways of doing that or anything that, that's been any success stories or is that still kind of early days or? I mean, it's a tough one. It really is. I don't know that we have the magical answer to that question. It's a, at the end of the day, people are trained. People are informed of their responsibilities. Um, people are measured on whether or not they did comply with all of the rules and regulations, whether it's a proactive review or a reactive review. So ultimately they are held accountable to the data that they own. Um, and I think that that has to be um, explicitly told to the domain owner that they are accountable to their data. Um, and we give all of the, um, all of the background that we can we give them all of the tools that we can, and um, there are certain roles and responsibilities of that domain owner. Uh, I know it's only a half-baked answer, but it you know 
at the end of the day, we all have responsibilities at our jobs. And that's just one of the responsibilities. And it should be treated as a role with certain responsibilities. Well, and and what I'm getting from that answer is, is I was kind of asking it as well from the value add standpoint, but I think that makes a lot of sense of, hey, you know, from a risk standpoint, you've got to be here and we're going to provide you the, the frameworks to kind of test this stuff. And we're going to make that so that we don't get into trouble because that is important. And, and, and we and- know you want to give your value add and we want to help you give your value add. But just remember, right, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> a la Superman. <laughs> Right, it is Superman. No, yeah. I don't. Well, now, now I'm thinking just like you. You're, you're like, no, it's Sarita. It's not Superman. The big S stands for Sarita. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> we're, we're gonna have to get you a cape. Um, <laughs> the governance. No way. The governance, governess. Uh, <laughs> <Sarita>. <laughs> oh no, no, no! It's Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> uh, but but like. Is there a way to think about that, um, about that subject matter expert around the value add? Is that, is that too early in the journey to think about, like, how do you actually do that? Like, how do you provide that, that subject matter expertise about not providing the maximum value for the data relative to the domain, but relative to the greater mesh? Is that something that's, three years, five years down the yeah. road in, in a in an implementation versus like, hey, we're going to do this up front. And, and I mean, there's so many roles that could be successful and useful in a mesh that you don't want to hire for everything. But. Yeah, I think it's more of that organic evolution of the mesh, right? As you build product, as you connect the products, as you find that business value, I, I don't think you have to know upfront what that value is. So you don't have to have um, that visionary that's saying, okay, my mesh will do all these things and unlock all these values. And um, I think you just slow and steady, build for purpose, expand as you go, have people there to help kind of talk about the value, talk through how should I name my product? How should I construct my product so that, you know, it is going to expand over time. There are certain sets of data that are well known in industries, right? Like in financial services, for example, if I'm going to think about creating a product that holds our client information, there are people that know what client information looks like. And so we don't have to guess what it's going to look like a year, two years, three years from now. It doesn't mean we have to build the whole thing, but we can build the current state knowing what it's going to look like in the future, or at least a sense of what it's going to look like. Um, I can imagine in different industries, there are different subject matter experts on different topics of data. And it's not, I mean, there's emerging data, don't get me wrong, right? Where it's just completely opaque how it's going to look, how it's going to be structured. But there's a heck of a lot of data 
that people will know how to structure it up front. And, and let's just lean on those subject matter experts. And those are different subject matter experts, right, in the industry, as opposed to the governance subject matter experts that know the laws and the regulations. But they know they know what they're doing with their business on that data. They know what loans data looks like. They know what credit card data looks like. It's not a guessing game, right? It's a, we don't have to guess what a credit card transaction is going to read like. So we shouldn't reinvent the wheel every single day. <laughs> But we also don't have to say up front, oh, I'm going to have all loans, transactions, mortgages, um, you know, keystroke information, energy information, all the restaurant reviews in the world, all the Uber rides in the world. You don't have to think about it all up front and say, I'm going to need all of this. Just start with what you want to build. Yeah. Well, I don't know why I said Uber rides. (laughs) (laughs) But but what would you think about for those standards where they don't exist? Like um, like I'm I'm trying to think about so in a lot of teams those actually those subject matter but like expertise. what can't exist right we all we all we all have a basic understanding in domain driven design right we all have the fundamentals of I approach a problem. I structure it into its parts. Same thing for data, right? We all kind of approach it and say, okay, this is a blob of information that I need to know about, but let me take a step back, think about, you know, standard modeling principles, start breaking it up into its objects. And even if it's this unknown universe of information that's never before been invented, you could still apply first order principles of, okay, let me start constructing those blocks of what those scopes of data will, will look like. So I don't know. I, I think we could, it could be like a little bit of a rinse repeat mode on governing how that data should be presented to others. Yeah. And that's what I'm thinking of from a standards perspective of, of there are a lot of people that are trying to do way too much up front for their internal standards, right? Of this is the way, and it's like those standards can evolve too. So you you want to look at things like OWL or W3 or whatever, those things of, um, of how you make these things extensible, Right. You don't have to go if, if you have something that's very different, you don't want it to be rigid in that you can't change it. You, you like I, a bunch of people have talked about this with domain driven design is you want firm boundaries that aren't rigid. Right. Because they have to be able to evolve and change and you need like extensible models. You need to be able to, to do that. But I do kind of like a lot of what I'm getting from you is just everyone get the heck out of your own way, right? <laughs> That's kind of the, right. the, the sense of ev- like the through line of all the stuff that you're saying is just don't overthink this, kind of get moving. Yeah. I mean, if we think about data as something less tangible, like an actual product, right? You would never create a product to sell in a store if you had no thoughts that it would be purchased, right? You would never do that if it was a tangible object, right? So think about data the same way. Why would you build a product 
if nobody's going to use it, right? Or you don't know your first customer. At least know your first customer. And then you can kind of back into, okay, how should it look? How should it feel? So I can delight my customer, right? Again, that first principle of data as a product is to delight your customers. And so if you don't have any customers, then you should not be in the business of making a product. Product has marketing, right? Like internal marketing, and you do market research before you launch a product. Right. Correct. And so you, you find that that initial consumer, you find that initial customer, but and then you start to, to find who else could I who, who else might be interested in this? What, how might I augment this? How would I think about that? But exactly what you talked about, it's that like product management, product marketing, all of that stuff of talking to people like and just getting so much of the of of what people try and do with data mesh is technology based instead of just like get some people in a room kind of do this okay we're going to create this standard and we're going to say this is our internal standard for sharing xyz data um and we we think that it, it's going to cover these like five or six use cases so we're not just creating a new standard for every single use case we try to make it a little bit more generic but and, and but then you make it extensible and you make it um, kind of evolvable and, and that, that, that is, I think extensibility, um, and, uh, evolution and just get out of your own way is kind of how I would sum up a lot of what we've talked about is, <laughs> is, uh, so I, I did have one question that I wanted to kind of, uh, wrap up on and it, and, and it actually kind of goes against the get out of your own way. But it's kind of get out of your own way, but make sure you don't get too far out of your own way, which is how do you get moving without trying to cover everything up front, but also make sure that you've got your your risk appropriately handled? Like one, one thing that I've talked about is if you've got something that's risky data, really think about do you even need it in your data product for your V1? Is there a reason to have that PII in there? Do you really need it? Or could you do something where you've got an identifier and and maybe that's tied to some PII somewhere, but like it, it's your, your linking key. And so you've got appropriate controls around that or whatever. But like, how, how would you think about telling a domain yeah. about that? And how would you think about telling somebody that's releasing their first data product or data products? So I think... You've just reminded us of something very important, right? Not all of our data has to be within the data product. The data product is meant for the data that you're publicizing to share with others. So if you need a piece of information for your own internal process, and you are absolutely not ready to make that shareable because it is super sensitive, then don't put it in your product. You still can have that data, but don't publicize it. And don't, and of course, of course, just because you publicize that data is available, it doesn't mean everybody can access that data. It is for a need to know basis, right? And we always have to put it in the right entitlements. So data product doesn't mean it's open season for the public. It means it can be shared with the appropriate consumers of that data. And so I might put PII, out in the product, but it doesn't mean that whoever wants to read that PII is allowed to, 
it means that the targeted customer base or consumer base of that data of my product will get access to it subject to entitlements and all the restrictions being reviewed. Yeah, and I I think that access by default is something that I I really highly recommend in Data Mesh, but it's intelligent access by default, right? It's it's right. If if like you can put out a data product that everyone should have access to, but not every aspect of it should they have access to. And and there are data products that not that a lot of people just shouldn't have access to, right? Anything with salary information internally, unless you've got an open salary kind of organization where everybody knows what what's all going on, you don't want to put that where you've any way that people could back into numbers. Absolutely. You're just setting yourself up for trouble. But it's but- a great example because some processes have to know the salary information so it can be shared in an entitled and directed way with those that need to know, but nobody else can see it, right? Well, and and that you create a, you expose, like the way I've been talking about it is that uh, good governance is an exposing tooling to the domains. Good governance is exposing the decision-making and and it may be that there is direct tooling that that does, but a lot of it is is just making sure that that's low friction decision making so they can make the right call instead of you now manage this this access control software versus like hey we're going to give you the options for you've got these 10 columns that you're putting in these three have PII mark them as having PII and then we'll say you know do you want heavy masking or or uh you know kind of uh light masking or whatever and then there's there's some you know you don't have to choose every single option and if somebody needs something that's much more intensive you know okay like you'll work with them but it's that 80 20 mm-hmm. of like 80% of the time people can just go, okay, these three columns, no, it shouldn't be, but the rest of the data set or the rest of the data product of the 40 columns that are in here are totally fine. Like whatever. It's, it's not a big deal if, if other people get access to this. So, But it ooh, goes back it. to describing the data, knowing exactly where the sensitivity is and making sure that you have the right controls for the, on the need to know basis. Um, maybe there is some publicly available information Maybe there isn't. Maybe there's zero access to that product, and and maybe it is open access to that product. Um, it's part of the governance and the decisions that the domain owner has to make. So, so if if you had like uh, uh, one or two sentence advice about like getting comfortable around doing that, is it is it because people are using governance as their blocker? Is there mm-hmm. anything where you could say like? where you could give somebody a little bit of comfort where it's like, you know, you still got to make sure that you've got the risk in mind and that you're thinking through this, but that it's okay to move forward. Is is there anything where, where you would, any inspiring words, you know, the, the, the again, the, 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 what is it? The governance governess, Sarita Basked, what, 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 oh what would you give? <laughs> oh gosh. Look, it, it, I don't know if I really have the inspiring words because entitlements to data is is really, really important. And I don't think that we're going to ever let down that amount of governance. Um, 
but it's about need to know. And so we can have human to human conversations to describe the project that we're working on to the domain owner and say, hey, I'm looking for this piece of information. Um, it'll fulfill some business value. Domain owner might say, that's great, but there's no way I'm not giving you that information. Or they may say, I'll give you a piece of the information. I think you can run with it and it's a little bit less risky. Or they may say, you know, you need to be subject to this and this and this constraint. Um, you know, this training you might have to take to understand what you're going to be looking at. And so there has to just be a conversation. It's yeah. not about the technology and the tooling at this point. It's about the people. Yeah, um, risk profile. That may, I think that makes a lot of sense of, of that purpose built as well, right? Of, hey, it's that conversation. It's not, here's my ticket and I need these 63 columns. It's, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. It's like, could you get there if I gave you these 55, which I can give you open access to, or it's going to take two months for me to build all the access control policy and things like that of, of like I've been talking about return on investment is super crucial, not just return. People are, are often going for biggest return Versus, especially when you're getting going, that return on investment. Look for the the moderate return, low investment type of things, especially from a time standpoint of quick time to value. You have to start to stop just looking for low-hanging fruit and you have to start swinging big. But at the start, it's okay to look for those. Is, is that is that something that you... It is. And it's, it's probably a good idea to bring the domain owner into your business planning conversations up front. So you're having those strategy meetings. You know you're going to need a piece of information. Don't come knocking on the domain owner's door months later saying, hey, I need that data or I can't run my project. Bring them from the beginning so they understand that they're part of a bigger solution. That makes a lot of sense. I think I don't think I've heard anybody put it quite that like succinctly of just, hey, uh, <laughs> start the conversation earlier than uh, of like, I want this data. Do you have it? I'm going to find the person that does and then just bring them in and say, here's what we're going to need. And, and can you, can you work with us and we'll, we'll kind of partner with you and, you know, however you do funding environment and things like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. So, um, well, we're coming up on an hour here. This has been uh, fantastic. As, as always, I love uh, any conversation I have with you, but is there anything we didn't cover that you think is important or that, or, or is there any topic with under data mesh that you think needs kind of broader coverage that hasn't been covered very well? No, I, th I think that a lot of the guests that you've had, like I said at the start, have, have been really inspiring and have brought up perspectives that I um, have brought into my day-to-day -day practices. And I hope this conversation was useful to others. I, I would sure love to hear the feedback. It, it will be. I'm sure. I'm very, very sure it will be. So, um, well, Sarita, this has been uh, uh, amazing. And um, if people want to follow up with you on anything, is the easiest way just to reach out through LinkedIn or is there a, a different 
So absolutely. Okay. LinkedIn is the best. Yes. I'll, I'll drop that in the show notes so people can just easily jump to that. And then is there anything that you would want people following up with you about anything specific, whether they've got answers for you relative to questions? Yeah, look, I, I not absolutely vendors, do. Not vendors. <laughs> I, I do not claim to be the expert. I don't think any of us are the experts in this field just yet. It's still emerging and evolving. So I would love to hear if I've said anything that people um, liked. I hope that they liked. Um, and if they disagree, please let me know. Um, and if there's a different approach, I would love to hear it. Yeah, I think I think that's that open communication line is is great. I think that's the fact that you're very open to that back and forth, that it's not, I've, I've got it all figured out. Those are the people where you're like, okay, I'm going to run away from you right now because you don't have anything <laughs> figured out if you think you've got, especially something as, as new as data mesh. So yeah. So, yeah. Sarita, this has been awesome. So thank you so much for the time and thank you everybody for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Sarita Bax, who's the managing director at JP Morgan Chase as part of the firm-wide data management organization. And so she's heading up a lot of the data governance initiatives within their data mesh implementation. As always, you can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. 